0: Good morning. Every time I come up here, it's like winter. I remember a couple of years ago I came and uh, it had snowed pretty bad during that night and you still had a service and I think uh, some of us all braved it out here. And So you're all praying with me, right, to move all this stuff way out to sea. lest the, the guys here with snowplow trucks, right? You guys have been praying all year. So, but anyway... Glad to be back here at Grace Baptist Church in Millersville, and privileged today to bring my wife Sue, who uh, is not always able to come with me, and uh, she had to make some choices this morning whether or not she would come, and um, so I'm I'm very happy she's with me today. And we'll be married uh, 46 years, May the 7th, and so those years have gone by very fast. And if you count the days we dated, we're already past our golden anniversary, right, hon? So, taught her how to drive when she, she's never, no, she's a good driver. I taught her how to drive when she turned 16. So, we've been together a long time. We met when we were nine and ten, or nine and eight, nine and eight, at First Baptist Church at Coatesville 1959 when my dad moved me to that city. And um, so, thank the Lord for her. And uh, through her, the Lord's given me three beautiful sons, wonderful sons. And, um, Some of you may know our sons. I know our oldest son will be 44 in a couple more months. His name's Jonathan, and he is married to Sarah. And I won't name all my grandkids, although I think I can. We pray for them by name every day. Um, But his children, our grandchildren, uh, he leads a ministry to um, that skateboard culture and uh, does it across the country and continues to be used of God uh, with the industry itself, with Uh, people that do a lot of work for the skateboard industry, uh, like Vans and Bones and different people like that that are kind of out there, secular uh, industries. But um, for Jonathan, it's a mission, and it's a mission field. And uh, it's pretty neat when a guy who proclaims Jesus Christ uh, in that industry um, gets calls and letters of affirmation from the industry itself to say, We believe in what you're saying. We may not be where you are, but we believe in what you're saying, and we continue to help you with our product. And uh, when they they say that, what they mean is they're sponsoring a lot of what uh, John tries to do and uh, put some funds into it and some product into it when he reaches out uh, with so many people. So keep our sons in prayer, Jonathan and Sarah and their children. Um, Again, we have a son, Timothy, uh, who pastors... uh, A church, Wagontown Chapel, and some of you are aware of Wagontown, where um, the houses attend and are active and are very, very instrumental in leadership. We were with the houses last night. They were married, I think. Were they married in this church? I think they were. They met here. You married them. Okay, great. Did a good job. And uh, they've just... (laughs) Have have you met their little uh, adopted son? Uh, Wonderful little boy they've adopted uh, from the African-American community. Who's their little boy, and they have two girls, so they're all thrilled to have a little brother and, um, but they're active um, in Sue's Bible study, she is, and um, serving the Lord at Wagontown. They celebrated uh, our son's 40th birthday last night, Timothy, who pastors at the Wagontown Chapel with his wife, Corinne, and they have four boys. And, and then we have one last son who is uh, Joshua. I always say Jonathan when I say Joshua, but Joshua is uh, going to be 36 uh, next, next weekend. Touches my heart. My baby's 36, and he's married to Jordan, and we'll go hear him preach tonight at the Providence Church West in Coatesville, where he is uh, planting a work in downtown Coatesville, uh, as we would say, kind of in the hood. And um, it's not an easy work. We were there last Sunday night, and it was just a family night, just getting started, and 140 We're there just just for kind of games and fellowship, Um, but when you look around, I mean, it's lots of kids and lots of absent dads and um, a lot of struggling moms, and that's kind of the the world that he's been planting in, and pray for he and Jordan as they continue together. She directs the Bridge Academy Community Center, which is a a very deep ministry as well. Um, They're using a church uh, that is now the Bridge Academy Community Center. And, um, and so just be praying for them. Starting in April, I believe it is, he'll be ministering the Word of God weekly um, to that body. Uh, right now he's about two or three Sundays per, per month. And so it's a blessing, again, to have uh, three sons that love the Lord and are serving the Lord. And they also have, they have three children, uh, two by birth, Eden and little Josh. And then they have a son they've taken into custody um, many years ago, uh, Slay, Dondre Pittman. He's about. He looks a little different than me. Six, about six, 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 five. African American. Looks a little bit like me. Uh, a little taller though. A little taller. And but Slay is uh, our our grandson as well. And right now you can pray for him. He's attending um, the uh, was it Williamson Trade School or Stevens Trade School up here in Lancaster. And just pray that God will uh, help him. He's. Uh, That's a tough time. He's in the carpentry uh, with a full scholarship, and we're just praying that uh, he'll overcome uh, a lot of the trauma that's taken place in his life. And uh, that's a real thing anymore. You talk about PTSD from battle. um, It's become a watchword in prison uh, with so many that we minister to, uh, women and young people coming in. Um, Since I was here last time, we've opened a wing in our prison, our adult prison, and we have 12 young men in there uh, who are all under the age of 17, who are in our adult prison now, uh, obviously segregated from the rest of the prison, uh, but are there for crimes that require them to be in an adult prison. And so that part of our world has even changed quite a bit. So uh, we appreciate your faithfulness and your prayers. Um, My relationship with our supporting churches is uh, uh, very, very important to me, and not just for the fact that you give funds into our ministry which you've done so faithfully now uh, so many years I can't even begin to think back how many years it was um, when Pastor Samworth uh, embraced us um, many many years ago some of you might remember uh, maybe it was back in the 80s 85, 86 I can't remember Um, but you've stuck with us and and we appreciate that Um, I never will do it but my flesh side says write a book on missions I won't do it that's my flesh side because i you learn a lot being a missionary, and um, I could and I, w- I wouldn't uh, I would give you as an example, exemplary church in in the support of our ministry, and I say that in many, many ways. Uh, you are like some churches, you're spontaneous in the sense that sometimes you surprise me with what you do. I know what you're going to do pretty much from month to month, but occasionally you just jump at something even even above and beyond that. And uh, whether it's some of you as individuals, whether it's as a church, I remember distinctly about two years ago, probably about three years ago, it was about this time that you embraced us for our uh, summer camp. And you really poured uh, into our summer camp ministry with a special gift. And, and that was huge. And that's what I mean by spontaneous. I mean stuff that we, we can't count on, stuff that we uh, wonder at when it happens. And so we appreciate that. Um, And you know I write to you. I write to you, and a lot of times my letters and my notes get lost in the missions committee, but the missions committee can tell you I write personally to you. Um, I pen with my own hand uh, at least a paragraph, but everything I write is personal. And um, right now I'm in the midst of asking God to help me write my letter for the month of March uh, because I'm this far into the month, and I haven't yet written my primary letter for the month of March. And um, I'll do that in the next two days. But when I do it, I struggle to do it just as much as I would want to write that personal note on your mission's receipt. Um, Everything's personal with me. And that's why I want you to read. That's what I want you to do. I want you to read what I write. Read between the lines. Um, It hurt me when, and you didn't do it, but it hurt me. This is something I'd put in my book, which I'll never write. I'm giving a report, by the way, before I preach. Um, But when I... I've had people actually say, Jack, don't write so much. People are busy. They don't have time to read. Just give us a quick, you know, paragraph. And that may sound friendly, but to me it's offensive because I'm already condensing what I'm trying to say in a page and a half or two pages. and And then I'm thinking, how can you pray? Does this make sense? How can you pray if you don't read it? does that make sense and i would think you'd want to know about the ministry so you knew how to pray for it and that's just a logical thing that any missionary would probably tell you and so i share my heart the best way i can and i'm also candid i have to be candid that means you're hidden right i, I try to be hidden as well i can't write everything that goes on in our ministry um, matter of fact i'm probably being recorded right now and just go on the radio no okay good uh, But, again, you have to be careful today. Everything you say can be used against you in a court of law. And at the same time, we're privileged to work with people in our ministry, um, not just people inside a prison. Um, We have a young man in our jail right now who um, his last name is Preen, if that means anything to you. Uh, He was the shooter of the state trooper upstate Pennsylvania that ran from our police for so many months and was finally apprehended. And so he's in our county jail right now because they're choosing a uh, jury for him. And so out of 300 people, they'll pick a jury that will be his jury, and he has a, a say in who his jurors are. And so we're protecting him and taking him back and forth into, into Chester County Courthouse uh, for his trial, wherein on a late evening one night um, he is charged with uh, shooting and killing a state trooper and wounding another one in cold blood and so those, those are things we do and again even mentioning his name in that context I don't even like to do it um, but God has continued to open wide doors and Pastor Divini, um I appreciate your comment um, and I don't say it in, a, in any way but in a, in a humble and broken way and that is to say that our ministry continues to get deeper and deeper and wider and wider and if that's possible You know, when I was a little boy, you probably did it too. We sang a song deep and wide, deep and wide, and that's about the blood of Christ, right? There is a fountain flowing deep and wide. But when I think of it as a missionary, I think about our ministry. It gets deeper and it gets wider as well, which I think is the logical end of preaching the gospel. I think that's what it's supposed to do, right? Go deeper and wider. And when I say deeper, we get our hands dirtier and dirtier. We go deeper and deeper into the community. We go deeper and deeper into families. We go deeper and deeper into our prison. And, and because we've been in the same city for so long, we are probably now into almost the third generation um, of families that we have ministered to. And so when we look at a, a woman in our meal we had the other day, we already know her children and her children's children. Who've all been ministered to by us across these forty some years, and they have children kind of quickly, so the generation spans probably about thirteen years as opposed to maybe what we're used to maybe twenty five years. Um, does that make sense? So life comes at us quickly. We still continue to see open doors. My wife can tell you the proof of this i have I have emails right now on my computer that are opening a brand new door again to go back to jamaica they I remember preaching in Jamaica not many years ago, it seems like probably not many years ago, but it was a, um, I was at ACPO, which was the Association of Christian Police um, in Jamaica. And as a matter of fact, when I went to get on my plane to fly to Jamaica for that conference to keynote, the conference for Christian police in Kingston, and I was landing in Montego Bay, as I was at the airport, I spoke to a, a lady at the ticket booth at Philadelphia Airport for Jamaica Airline. And, and she said, where are you going? I said, to Jamaica. She said, what are you going for, if I may ask? I said, I'm going for a police conference. Really? A police? What kind of a police conference? I said, it's a Christian police conference. She looked at me like, there's no such thing in Jamaica. There's no such thing as a Christian cop in Jamaica. I said, oh, yes, there are. Matter of fact, I'm being hosted by one of the greatest ones, Ivan Brown. Ivan Brown, who had both of his arms lopped off with a machete when he was a 20-year-old police officer in Jamaica in a... Sugarcane field. And with that uh, slash of that machete, not only lost both limbs, but had scars in his forehead where the machete also went as he caught, fought off the killer. And, um, but he lived, and he became the head of what they call in Montego Bay, not 911, but 119, which was their emergency services. And it wasn't many years ago. My dear brother, Ivan, went home to be with the Lord with diabetes And what a man of God he was. They had a state funeral for him. The entire nation celebrated Ivan Brown's life. And I missed his funeral. I was in Africa. But what a blessing. And he had me come and preach at ACPO. And just as I finished my keynote address, it was all stopped because a hurricane had been blowing up against Kingston. And the entire conference was canceled. And so he drove me all across that rainy, muddy island with a police car back to uh, Montego Bay. And uh, just was called this week, they want to rebirth and revive the work of the Christian police in Jamaica. It's died. It's, it's gone over the cliff. And um, just this week, invited to come back and preach um, or to begin to help them stimulate the vision for Christian police in Jamaica. Just one opportunity. A few days ago or a few weeks ago, Sue and I were in uh, Scotland, um, and we had a chance to be there. And we went there with Point Man Leadership Institute. And we ministered uh, to youth who were brought there by police in Scotland uh, through the blessing of, of Prince Charles and had a chance to bring a seminar which included our faith in Jesus Christ to young people in the coal regions of northern Scotland where the coal mines have been closed down and Prince Charles has a burden for that area, not for Christ, but. A burden for their poverty and their economics. And so we were brought in by police through Christian connections to touch the lives of these young people. Again, unheard of opportunities that God's given us. And just a few weeks ago, we were at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, in the prayer room there as well, ministering the Word of God and praying at the National Prayer Breakfast while our new president was upstairs with the entourage of the nations. Um, Those are just a few little things that Um, or kind of the breadth of it and uh, don't begin to touch any of it but again we need your prayers as we go uh, mostly home and local Sue can tell you she's watched me for so many years and served with me for so many years uh, over these 40 some years in the prison 44 years since 1973 Um, the work there has never been more challenging never more difficult and yet never more exciting when your bosses tell you We want mentors. We would say disciples. We want mentors in our prison. We want our men and women not to come back to jail anymore. Can you bring people in here that will love them and meet them and never bring them back again? Now I have to ask God for a revival in the local church so that God will raise up those kinds of people for such a time as this. And so it's a powerful time. It's a challenging time. And hey... You're in America just like I am. Need I tell you, the crisis of this nation today. Again, as I finish this quick report, uh, I just want to say a thank you, too, to my lovely wife, who I can tell you is the unsung hero in this partnership. She has always been in the ministry with me, beside me, and serving in it, And I'll tell you, if anybody should write a book, it should be her, what God has brought her through, not with me alone, but just in her own life, Uh, starting out with an abusive mother who just a few months ago she uh, gave up to the Lord, and um, I gave my father up as well a few months ago, but for Sue to see the relationship with her mother healed the way it was and to see Sue stand in the pulpit um, at her mother's memorial service and give praise to God for the way that relationship mended and healed through the years. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. And She's teaching the Word of God to children, teaching the Word of God to at-risk moms, teaching the Word at Wagontown, and, just, uh, and running um, so much of the core of our ministry, the office, and all that we have to accomplish uh, in the office uh, to keep us going uh, under law. And so she's the unsung hero. And I'm just i glad she came today to be with us. Let's pray. Father, I ask in these next moments that uh, you will help me as I open the Word of God. And I said all that, Lord, just because I feel to a church that invests and sows into our ministry that, Lord, there's so much more to say. Uh, We haven't even begun to scratch it, Lord, but it's all in the letters. We talk about it. We write about it. We cry about it. uh, We pray about it. And, Lord... It's all yours, and you know, even as I'll say in this moment, uh, if you take it all away, we thank you for what you've done in the past and what you're going to do in the future. And we thank you, Lord, for your word and for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked to uh, pick a scripture that I might uh, preach from today, and and I, I don't usually like doing that because... So much happens in my life. Believe me, I could pretty much have a different uh, flow in my heart uh, by the time I get home this afternoon. Uh, matter of fact, I even have since I've walked in here this morning. Uh, but I'm going to stay with the text that God's given me pretty much. It'll be my core text, which is Psalm 63. And If you want to turn there, I've been trying to break out a new Bible. I had a Bible. My wife says when I carry the other Bible, it's Pride. There's no cover on it, and I mean, it's just shattered to pieces. And I was really embarrassed this morning because I couldn't find the book of Philippians in it. So it's up, something's wrong with that Bible. So I put it away. But I have a new one here from John MacArthur. Um, it's an ESV, um, and I'm looking at Psalm 63 just a little bit this morning. And the only reason I, I picked this, because Pastor Joel said, if you can give us a maybe a text and a passage of Scripture that will help us uh, kind of put together our, our morning service, um, that's what what he's done. And I've seen that in, in some of the songs that, that he picked this morning. Uh, matter of fact, the second stanza, I believe it was, of uh, Be Thou My Vision, if I'm not mistaken, as we sang that, the second stanza stood out to me. I'm not sure if you can put that up on the screen, but if you do, the second stanza of Be Thou My Vision, for some reason, kind of, oh, uh, the screen's up, forget it. But that did speak to me, um, the second stanza of Be Down My Vision uh, in my message today. One thing I know before I even came here was that were it not for the fact that my heart and my life still hungers and thirsts for Christ, I don't think I'd be here this long. I don't think I'd have 44 years doing what I've been doing. And the more you serve in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, you do want to see his glory. And the prison house is one of those places where it is a dry and thirsty land. And not that there's no water there because maybe sometimes the word of God is going forth in my prison maybe more strongly than it is in many churches. And so I won't make any apology for the fact that in our prison there are opportunities to hear the word of God. Whether men and women avail themselves to it is another story. When you're dealing with an institution that has so long held men and women in custody, and I I realize the need for prisons. I've never liked prisons. I've never uh, had a, a love for prisons. I've always had a love for prisoners. I remember when I went across the state of Pennsylvania when I was, uh, I would have been 23 years old, 26 years old, 66 now. And I visited all the prisons in Pennsylvania. To say that now would be an understatement because there's so many more prisons in Pennsylvania. When I started out in prisons, believe it or not, I I think now my memory's bad, but I think there were like, I'm going to say half a million prisoners in the United States. Half a million. Half a million. Look up the statistics now. It'll blow you away. My county jail in Chester County had maybe, again, my memory's bad, I'd say 135, 140 prisoners. We've seen it go up over 1,000, but we're down. We're actually low right now. We're about 870, 890 prisoners. We're smaller than Lancaster County Jail. You've got more people in your jail than we do probably. Berks County has a lot more people than we have. But Berks County has a lot more people than we have because Berks County decided to build another big wing for for immigration. wonder why they did that. Why would you build a big prison to hold a lot of immigration prisoners? I know one reason. Money. A lot of money holding federal prisoners. Be careful when you build prisons with that in mind. If you're going to build prisons, and we do, I think the Quakers, in a sense, had it right back in Pennsylvania a long time ago. That men might repent and come to know God. And it didn't work the way they hoped it would. But I've been around long enough to see the old penitentiaries. And and you go to Northampton County, I think it's still there, the old jail. You'll see the cathedral doorways, and you'll see the cross and the wall around the old Northampton County prison. Maybe they tore it down, but it was part of it. The old Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, one of the oldest in Pennsylvania, was again started by the Quakers. The idea that men would repent, be penitent. The most effective thing we're doing in jail right now is, is something that revolves around repentance. One of our most effective programs in our prison right now is Malachi Dads. It was started by Awana was really started by prisoners in Angola Prison in Louisiana. Where in that prison, and we know the story, which was such a violent, bloody prison, where 85% of its prisoners will die in that prison. They used to die from violence. Now they're just dying from natural death. I met a man in there who I think had been in jail more than 55 years. He went in very young. He was in his 70s. He was still waiting to die. He was doing life. I visited the prison cemetery and saw the, the uh, horse drawn cas- casket or car- what they call it, the uh, carry on. That's not what, I, not what I want. But the buggy, that, the caisson, thank you, the caisson that would carry the body of the prisoner to that grave. They still do a royal funeral with a big Persian horse and a a prisoner with a big black top hat and a whip, and he'd take the big Persia on horses and give that man a royal burial there at Angola Prison, even though he spent the last 65 years there. But it was an Angola Prison where God began to work in the heart of prisoners, and, and many of them came to faith in Christ, and a seminary was started, and churches began to be blossoming inside of Angola Prison, and, and many of those men got involved in a program called Malachi Dads, where God really got a hold of their hearts, and they turned their hearts to their children, that God would turn the heart of fathers to their children, Malachi 4.6. It's still the most uh, visited and most participated in program in our prison. It involves mentors and discipleship. As a matter of fact, right now we're working in a little bit of a program with our women, which I've just kind of given it the name, Returning Hearts. And if you spell the word returning the word turn in the middle of that word, returning, is all capitalized. And and a short way to say repent would be to turn. And I wanted to give my warden something where he could talk about what we're trying to do in a way where he didn't have to apologize to the public or to the judges or to the critical secular world out there that doesn't want anything to do with God. What's your program for women? Well... Right now we're calling it returning hearts. It's about re-entry. But he knows and I know the key of it is the turning heart. The turning heart. And it will not happen without a gospel experience in Jesus Christ. And so these things are consuming us. But how in the world, it's almost oxymoron, not oxymoron, but almost um, a dangerous thing to be doing what we're doing right now in this very secularized world. So I'm always wondering how long till it ends, how long till we go to court, how long till the judge comes down on us. But I would say, right now, in my prison, and probably in many prisons, there was a cry for help. There's a cry for help. What's happening to our police departments in America? This past year, since I've seen you, there have been more police killed, gunned down, in cold blood. Not in gunfights, but, I mean, in gunfights, yes, but a lot of times just stopping a car and taking a shot to the face. Since I've seen you, I became part of the Billy Graham Rapid Response Chaplains and, and always have an invitation to go any place where there's a crisis, whether it's police or whatever. And I'm so busy, I have not been able to be deployed yet. But Ferguson, uh, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, where all these shootings have taken place. But I have been to the Billy Graham Center and sat with a medic, a female medic, from the Baton Rouge police who tried to minister first aid to a, a dying, bleeding police officer who was shot with a man with a long gun just showing up for a, a normal call. We're living at a very dangerous time if I had preached here last year I'm sure I would have preached from Isaiah chapter 9 or chapter 1 verse 9 I would have preached from that in this pulpit because it was part of my thinking and part of my heart as I thought about the coming election and my wife will tell you the night of the election I actually went to bed early and I said to my wife and I'm always up very early in the morning it was actually at 3 30 in the morning I was looking at my internet While my coffee was brewing the next day of the election, and to the shock of my heart, Mrs. Clinton was getting ready to concede the election. Shocked me, because I actually went to bed saying to my wife, I think tomorrow the republic will be over. Now, that's not a political statement, folks. We're still close to that. Still very close to that. We're living in a very, very dangerous time. I didn't high-five anybody the day of the election. Nobody. I wasn't high-fiving. It was a time to pray. A time to pray. They say, Jack, what's all this have to do with Psalm 63? I'll get there. My son Joshua says, Dad, you always get there, but I'm never sure how you're going to get there. I get a brief moment to talk to you, so I'm sharing my heart with you. It's a dear friend of mine, and I've probably mentioned him to you before. His name is um, Richard Owen Roberts. You can look him up on the web. You'll see him. He's about 85 years of age. He's what I would call, and I hate to use the name right now, but I'll use it. He's a sage. He is an old, wise man. He's written more on repentance than anybody I know except this book. This is the book on repentance. But he actually wrote a book called Repentance, the First Word of the Gospel. He had more than 9,000 volumes he donated to the Billy Graham Library that were nothing to do with anything but great awakenings and repentance down through the years across the world. I've sat down with Pastor Roberts. You can look him up on the web today. You'll love what you hear and love what you see. But get ready. He's a fiery, fiery old man. He won't look like it. But when he gets to talk and preach, he is. And I called him on the phone halfway through the election cycle about July of last year. And I said, Pastor Roberts, I said, how are you feeling about the election? And how do you feel about the nation? And he said this to me. And I, if you read my letters, you've probably read all this. He said, Jack, the scripture that's on my heart, this is July of last year, 16. Isaiah 1, 9, he said, is on my heart. If the Lord of hosts had left, not left us a few survivors or a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And he says, what I'm hoping, and this was last July, he says, what I'm praying, Jack, is that maybe, maybe, God's not obligated, but maybe, there's a remnant in the nation that God will still hear and maybe spare the land. Just maybe. Maybe. That's where he was in 2016, July. I called my dear friend again 30 minutes before President Trump put his hand on the Bible and swore in on the Capitol steps. I called him again and I said, Pastor Roberts, I said, what's on your heart today? I hate to disturb you. Maybe you're watching the swearing in of the new president. What are you thinking today? And, of course, he pauses for a moment, as he does, unsolicited phone call. And he says, he said, Jack, he says, I'm, I'm musing upon a passage of Scripture from Hosea. So what are you thinking? Again, this is 30 minutes before our new president swore in. People ask me who I voted for. I always answer, Mike Pence. Hosea 4.6 was on his heart. Now listen to this. This was the day of the inauguration. You know the passage. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And then he went on to talk to me, and he said, Jack, that word knowledge there in the Hebrew is a word that interprets sagacity. And again, if you read my letters, you already know about sagacity. You know, that word sagacity just didn't sound like a familiar word to me. Maybe these sharp young ladies in the front row know what that word means. But if I looked your pastor in the eye today and and just said with a real mean look on my face, you're the most sagacious person I've ever met in my life. He might think I just offended him. That was my knowledge of that word. But what it really means is to have a deep knowledge of. He said to me 20 minutes before the inauguration of our president, so much as if to say, Jack, I'm praying that somehow, if God has given us any window at all, that there will be a true understanding and knowledge of the living God as revealed in the Scriptures. Only sagacity will spare this nation. And then I hung up and I thought, you know, I just talked to a sage. We all know that word. Now, the reason I say all this is, the world I'm in, since I saw you, I mean, we, we had, my wife had the opportunity, and she always keeps an immaculate home. And we hosted in our home, in our front room, the former Attorney General under Ronald Reagan, Ed Meese. He sat in our front room talking to Bob Vernon from Los Angeles Police, and, and, and they're writing a book together right now. They're writing a book, Two Men of God, a former Attorney General, former number two of LAPD. And what's the book about? Well, from what I know it's about, they're talking about making America great again. I'm thinking, hmm. Is this going to be a book, and I know these men, is this going to be a book that's really going to be timely? Is it going to be sagacious? Is it really going to speak to this hour? And you know, I have have an opportunity to kind of talk into the ear of Mr. Ed Meese and to Bob Vernon. If this world needs anything right now, It is men and women of God, not just Americans, but you name the nation. I mean, we're blessed. This is the most wonderful place to be for the moment. But it's quickly changing. My wife saw something this morning on her Facebook that I won't even quote here. But it was pretty nasty, pretty awful by a very powerful voice in this country against a very powerful person in this country. And I thought, man, this guy always talks with his gloves off, but man, I've never heard him say anything like that before. Christian, believer in this room, I want to ask you an honest question this morning. Now I'm making my point. Do you thirst for the living God in a dry and thirsty land where no water is? Do you really? Because I want to suggest to us this morning, if you don't and if I don't, I mean this with all my heart, I am part of the problem in America. David in Psalm 63, and I'm not going to debate whether he was running from King Saul and John MacArthur would lead to tell us that he was probably running from his son Absalom. One implies that he was already king, the other implies that he's going to be king. And I'm not here to debate it. But the fact of the matter is, David, the sweet psalmist of the Old Testament, and we can talk about a man who had so many sins and so many failures and so many broken marriages and so many kids to so many women and made some awful decisions, not to mention murder and adultery. I've often said probably the worst thing he did was number Israel because 70,000 died as a result of that. That's a pretty heavy decision. But this man David hid in a cave in the wilderness, and I want you to hear his words. And it's my prayer this morning that it's my words. And it's my prayer this morning that it's your words. And may I suggest before I read it, and you're very familiar with it, the first couple verses here, may I suggest if you're not identifying at all, matter of fact, I was reading a commentary again this morning, just refreshing my thoughts on this text. It happened to be Matthew Henry, whether you like him or not. But Matthew Henry just happened to say, Psalm 63 will be meaningless, will be meaningless to someone who lacks any thirst or hunger. It'll be meaningless. So what I'm about to read, if it doesn't phase you at all, it probably already tells you you're pretty satisfied with what you got. Okay? So if this doesn't bother you, then you're satisfied. David in the cave, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let me ask you this morning. Where is your water? Where is your meat? What is the food that really keeps you going? I give out a book, and I'm not even ashamed to say it anymore. I'll tell you, I do it. Criticize me all you want. You might not like the author, but I sure like what he did. My wife and I have been, by the way, before I say what the book is and who the author is, my wife and I have been enjoying every morning. We read um, Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. We love it. We love Spurgeon. And a lot of times he'll just break out quoting from the Song of Solomon because he's so in love with Jesus Christ, all he can do sometimes is quote from the Song of Songs. That may not mean anything to some of you, But when Spurgeon talked about the Lord Jesus, he often put it into the language of the Song of Solomon because he knew that he was his beloved and Spurgeon knew that he was the love of Christ. And so I gave a book away. I just gave away last night to another young man called Song of Songs by Watchman Nee. A deep study written in prison He never intended it to ever be published. He didn't know anybody would ever get their hands on it. He was in prison for his faith. Someone got it. Someone translated it, put it out. Christian Literature Crusade's been publishing it. And it's one book I'll buy 25 of and give them away. And if one person comes back and say, Jack, that that book changed my life. And you know what? In my days, I can remember probably two people that have done that. One of them is still alive a young lady, Patsy Laporte's uh, stepdaughter, hun. And the other is a dear man who was a brand new believer and now is home with the Lord from cancer. They both ate that book up. But that whole thing was about song of songs, that when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords becomes your song of songs, and I mean from chapter 1-1 to chapter 8, it's about really having that desire to know and love Him. A couple days ago, a young man named Ethan, newlywed, has a little baby girl. Wonderful young man, works in the secular world. I saw him talking in Facebook about how much he longs for the Lord. How many people he talked to on Facebook about Jesus Christ? And last night, I was so happy to just, you know, I said, Ethan, I want to give you this book. Eat it like a box of chocolates. One at a time, a little bit at a time. Muse upon it and let God really fill your heart with how much He loves you. You see, Ethan, I think, lives in a land where he's thirsty and he longs to really be filled with the water of life and to know Christ as we sang about him this morning. Like the deer, Paneth. After the water brook. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Lord, I I want to see you like I knew you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. How can you relate to that? I mean, David knew what it was to see the worship, he knew what it was to see the tabernacle, he knew of the Holy of Holies, he knew of the priestly ministry, he knew of the temple worship. Here he was, separated from Jerusalem, hiding in a cave. I can remember times. You may not remember the name, but a great preacher back in my day, 1950s. I was just a kid, 1950. I was born, 1955. I sat in Faith Church in Rosalind, Pennsylvania. Faith Community Church. My dad and mom attended there. I can still remember sitting in Faith Community Church with Pastor George Slavin. He was my pastor. I'm just a little kid. Five years old. I'm here talking about it. 66 years old. I can still remember sitting next to my mom and dad, packed church, big missionary conferences, big choirs. Everything was so great. Missionary map on the front wall. Singing great hymns. Packed on Sunday morning. Packed on Sunday night. Prayer meeting night was packed. And we're talking 900, 1,100 people. i never forget singing on those Sunday nights. One of my favorite songs still. Take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe. He will joy and comfort give you. Give you joy wherever you go. Precious name. Oh, how sweet. I remember that. My sister has been attending that church. They support us. They support us. Right now, if they can gather 80, 80 people. Church is dark most of the time. Pastor just resigned, he's leaving soon. My sister attends there. She told my wife yesterday at a baby shower, she said, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. It's just so sad. We could talk about that. But David says, I remember when, I remember when, and when I'm in this cave, I long. To see you, Lord, as I knew you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. There was something satisfying to David in that dark cave. A couple days ago in my jail, I had just bought about 12 copies of the Song of Solomon. And I gave our women in our prison an opportunity, and Sue was there teaching with me, and I had three books. One was Seeking Him by Nancy Lee DeMoss, or now it's Wogamuth or something like that. Another one was a a book called Brokenness by Nancy Lee DeMoss, Wogamuth. And the other one was The Song of Songs. And one young lady I remember distinctly, a lot of them took to seeking him because it was something you could write in your cell and fill in the blanks and have an independent study. But the Song of Songs, I'll never forget the one girl that picked it up. She was the one girl in my class of about 19 girls that day. And she was the one girl in the back that not only did she raise her hand when I asked if you're a mother, but she was also the young lady that knew she was going to go upstate for a long time. And she took that book called Song of Songs because I said something about it that I think interested her. And it was this. You mean I can have a relationship that is so meaningful that when I'm all alone in my cell, far from my family and everybody I love, you mean to tell me I can have a satisfying relationship? And yes, I do believe that. I can't fathom what it means To separate from your kids like that. I had a young lady sitting with me last week. Debbie Willett, honey. She's adopted. She's had two children of her own, I think. She's adopted nine. One of her boys is in my jail right now. He's doing quite well. Her one son son, hung himself in a state prison a few years ago. And I had his funeral. And this young lady, Debbie, as a matter of fact, her husband also hung himself. So she's been through a lot. Debbie has. And she's an advocate for youth in prison. She's an advocate for youth in prison. That's the biggest thing on her heart. Reach these kids. Don't let them get so despairing at the age of 15, 16. And she sat in my Bible study last week. This woman with so much experience and so much pain in her own life. When she got up at the end of the Bible study, we were going out. Debbie said something to me that shocked me. And she's been through it. She said, Jack, I never thought of how much pain it must be for a woman to go upstate and leave her kids. I never thought about that before. Folks here at Grace Baptist Church in Millersville, my time almost gone. Pastor told me that clock is wrong. It says 10 to 11. That's not what it really is, right? I'm asking you, do you hunger and thirst to have a relationship with Him that is so satisfying, even in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, that you're going to be the one who I believe, you keep reading, how he satisfies this man, remembering upon his bed, meditating on him in the night watch, how he's been his help, hiding in the shadow of his wings, clinging to him. And all of that in the presence of enemies. If ever America needed a bride of Christ that was being filled up in satisfaction with him, It is now. And here's my big issue. If we love him that much, what on earth are we going to do to address this culture in his name? I believe the hour is extremely late, extremely dangerous. And I don't know about you, I'm not counting four more years. I'm counting a day at a time, one day at a time, Psalm 63 is a great place to stay and be used of God. Father, I thank you for these dear people. I was asked for a little theme today, and my theme would be, I need the water and the quenching refreshment of a deep, personal, abiding relationship with you. Thank you for your word, which continues not only to sustain us, but feed us, And change us, wash us, clothe us, and also motivate us to be the aroma of Christ for this day, this hour. And so, God, I pray in this nation, along with the world right now, that somehow something powerful would happen in intimate hearts with you. Have your way, Lord. David finally went out, became that great king. We just pray, Father, you'd use us before our lives are done.